You're listening to the Restless Wanderer podcast by Paul Coulter, and this is part one of a series in the Book of Lamentations. Now, I normally begin each episode of this podcast with the reading of scripture, and we will come to that in a moment. But uh, because this is a a short little book and therefore will be a short series, and because it's quite an unfamiliar book to many readers of the Bible, uh, and I confess even to me, it's not a book that I have taught from before. I think uh, it's worth doing a little bit of introduction to Lamentations before we read from it. And part of the reason for that is that there are some questions about the authorship of this this book that are worth considering. So traditionally, uh, Lamentations was attributed to the prophet Jeremiah. That's why in our English Bibles it comes just after the book of Jeremiah. And the reason for that was twofold. One, that uh, it was popular to try and identify an author who was recognised as a prophet of God. Uh, Whenever books were being compiled in the Bible, uh, it was important to recognise this book as inspired by God. And people thought that was easier to substantiate if we could link it with a particular author. But the reality is that we don't know uh, whether Jeremiah was involved with this book or not. He's not mentioned in the book uh, and uh, most scholars probably today would suggest it wasn't Jeremiah, although it does come from the period of time when Jeremiah was alive and was writing and prophesying, because the book is very clearly dated after the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. Uh, The book talks about that as we get into the first chapter, we'll see that. It is a book of lament describing the sorrow at the loss of the city of Jerusalem and Uh, the final destruction of that southern kingdom of Judah and the exile of its people to Babylon. Although this book was probably written by people who didn't go into exile but remained in the land and therefore were observing what was around them. So it was written sometime after 586 which is when the temple was destroyed by the forces of Nebuchadnezzar and the uh, southern kingdom of Judah was finally annihilated or wiped off the map and before the rebuilding of the temple in the return from exile which was later in the 500s BC. So it's uh, almost certainly somewhere between 586 and 520 BC. Now the other question when it comes to authorship is whether this is uh, the work of one author or more than one. So there certainly are themes that run throughout the book. Uh, It's very clearly all written around the same period of history. There are similarities of style, similar words are used. The theology of the book is very consistent. But then there are some reasons that might suggest it's not written by one person, but a compilation of poems by different people. So each chapter of this book is a distinct poem. In fact, uh, they are written in a particular style, as I've mentioned, that uh, the first four of those are all acrostics, meaning that they are structured after consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So each line or each verse, as we have it, starts with a different letter in sequence, Um, one verse for each letter in chapters one um, and 
2 and 4, and in chapter 3, which is longer, has 66 verses, there are three verses for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, the fifth chapter is not an acrostic, but it still has 22 verses, which is the number of letters. So there's a, a structural similarity. But um, as you look at the language of each of those ver uh, these chapters, rather, you'll see that the uh, the first and second chapters are, are written with a, a feminine voice. It, it talks about she and, and it, it talks about uh, in, in the voice of a, a female writer or narrator. In the third one, it's a male or masculine narrator. Whereas in the fourth and fifth, they're presented as eyewitness reports of the destruction of Jerusalem. So it could be that these are different authors and that someone has pulled their work together as one. But we really don't know. What we do know is that the theology of this book is quite consistent. So it is a book of lament, like the Psalms of lament, which are uh, very common in the book of Psalms. And that's something that is quite challenging for us as modern Christian readers. We're not very good at lament sometimes. We are, at least I am, and in my context, I think we're good at grumbling, moaning, complaining. But lament is something different than that. Lament is taking the sorrow of our hearts and expressing it to God, turning it into prayer. And of course, the reality is that when we pray together as Christians, we're much more likely to focus on um, requests, things that we're asking God for, uh, and sometimes adoration of God and thanksgiving to God. You might know the little acronym ACTS, ACTS, adoration, confession of sin, thanksgiving, and supplication or bringing requests. Now, all of those, of course, are important, but it doesn't really leave room for lament. Confession of sin comes closest, but there's a difference between confessing sin and expressing to God the sorrow of our hearts about things that are not sin or necessarily the consequence of our own sin, are just the sorrows of living in a fallen world. The pain of loss, the struggle in our emotions, the questions uh, that, that plague our minds. All of the, the things that, that Romans 8 describes as groaning that's going on in creation and in us. Of course, in Romans 8, it says sometimes we can't put those groans into words and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. But the Psalms of Lament and the Book of Lamentations tell us that there is also a place for putting these groans into words to God and framing those emotions around God's purposes. And that's what Lamentations does. It's very clear in, in recognising just how bad the situation is when Jerusalem has been destroyed. There are notes of hope in this book, and we'll see those as we read through. But they are minor parts of the book. For the most part, it's quite negative. It's expressing just how, how bad things are. It doesn't have a great deal of hope. Um, but it's not negative in the sense of accusing God, and that's quite challenging. Because we tend to think that, you know, if bad things happen to us, then people will, you know, maybe we'll blame God for those bad things. Or that when bad things happen, people will automatically say there cannot be a good and loving God, because how could such a God allow such things to happen? 
But the Bible reframes that way of thinking because the writer or writers of Lamentations don't blame God for what has happened. They take responsibility. They say that God has justly acted in judgment of his people because of their sin, which, of course, is what prophets like Jeremiah explain to the people, that the exile and the destruction of Jerusalem was going to come, and it was going to come because the people had rejected God. So lamenting doesn't blame God, it accepts responsibility, but it also expresses how tough it is to bear those consequences to God. Now, of course, uh, lament doesn't always include the admission of, of responsibility. People suffer in this world, not always because of their own sin, sometimes because of the sin of other people, sometimes simply because their bodies are prone to disease and to decay. But in all of these situations, we can turn to God and in turning to him, we can learn not to blame him, but to trust in him more. And part of that process is pouring out honestly the deepest emotions of our souls. We certainly should do that privately, but books like Lamentations and the Psalms of Lament were written for God's people to use together in their worship. And that suggests that we would do well to allow these prayers of lament in our prayer meetings, in our church services, perhaps even in our sung praise. Is there space not only for sung praise, but for sung lament? Because the Psalms were certainly put to music, and it's quite likely that these poems in Lamentations were too. So with all of that in mind, let's hear Lamentations chapter 1, the beginning of this book, and the first of its five poems or songs of lament for the destruction of Jerusalem. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people! How like a widow has she become! She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. 
Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her. Her foes gloated over her, they mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honoured her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future, therefore her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see, is there any, if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger? From on high he sent fire into my bones, he made it descend. He spread a net for my feet, he turned me back, he has left me stunned, faint all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke, by his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck, he caused my strength to fail, the Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbours should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street the sword bereaves, in the house it is like death. They heard my groaning. Yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. They have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. We'll end our reading there at the end of Lamentations chapter 1. Now, I hope I've done this 
poem, this song, justice in the way that I've read it, there is a heaviness in these words. There is a, a mourning at the city of Jerusalem that had been so great, that had been the pride of God's people, Israel of Judah, the pride in a positive sense as the place where God's temple was, the place that God had chosen as his meeting place with his people, the place where they would come to worship him, the city to which they would travel up for festivals, but no one is coming to the festival, whether this poem, verse 4, talks about that. You wonder whether this is written on the date of uh, one of the festivals when there should have been pilgrims coming up, perhaps. But in any case, the point is the gates are desolate, the priests groan, the people have been exiled or, or left in weakness, and uh, there is a bitterness of weeping. There's a sense of shame that the nations are looking on as if they're looking at Jerusalem in, in her nakedness after she's been assaulted. You get that tone of language of the assault of, of Jerusalem personified as a, as a woman by her enemies. It's a, a, a sad situation. It's a, a dark moment for the people of Judah. And they cry out, the people groan and say, look, O Lord, and see, I'm despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Verse 12. Of course, that phrase has been attributed or has been um, echoed in, in, in people's reflections on the death of the Lord Jesus. In songs, it's uh, been used in that way, that phrase, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? And we can think of the Lord Jesus hanging upon the cross and those who passed by ignorant of what was happening on that hill, just another Roman crucifixion, and worse still, those who stood around and mocked uh, and scorned at him, not realising the affliction that he was under. The enemy stretched out his hands, verse 10, over her precious things, seeing how God's enemy in that moment of the death of Jesus, just as in the fall of Jerusalem, seemed to be triumphant. Is it nothing to you? Is there any sorrow like my sorrow brought upon me? And we can certainly think of the Lord Jesus again when we think of that, can't we? Was there any sorrow like his, the depth of his suffering? But in this lamentation, the writer is very clear, crystal clear, that for the reason why Jerusalem is suffering in this way, it is because the Lord has afflicted the city. It is God's judgment. And there is no attempt to either blame God or to excuse Jerusalem and say that the city and its people didn't deserve this. No, their transgressions were bound into a yoke by God, that this was the result of the sins that they themselves had committed in rejecting God. The sorrow was inflicted, verse 12, by the Lord on the day of his fierce anger. And that too might make us think about the Lord Jesus on the cross because the wonder of the cross is that we realise that although Jesus was innocent and was not under God's anger, was never rebellious, was always faithful, and yet Jesus was afflicted by God on the cross. Isaiah 53 uses that language prophetically about Jesus too. He was bearing our curse, our being punished for our wounds. Here is Jesus afflicted with the Lord's anger for our sake. 
So I'm not saying that Jeremiah 1 or Lamentations 1 verse 12 is intended as a prophecy about Jesus, but certainly as we reflect on it as, as Christians, we can't help but thinking about that. But here is a, a song of lament, a song of confession, a song of recognition that the reason for the suffering is the sin of the people. But at the very end of that poem, it says, let those who brought this suffering, the enemies who are rejoicing at what's happened to Jerusalem, to Jer Jerusalem, may they too experience what Jerusalem is experiencing. Verse 22, let their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. There's this constant recognition in scripture that although God was using the Babylonians to judge his people and earlier the Assyrians to judge the uh, northern kingdom of Israel by uh, destroying it and taking its people into exile. Although that is true, the, the scriptures never excuse the behaviour of those enemies of Israel. They recognise both that God was using them as instruments of judgment for Israel's sin, but also that those nations too were sinful, including in their actions against Israel. And so God, the just judge, will act justly against those nations in his time. And so as we conclude this episode looking at Lamentations 1. Maybe we, maybe you need to take time and, and express the deep emotions of your heart to God, the sorrow that is in you. But as you do so, be ready to recognise where some of your suffering may be a consequence of your own sin. Not all. Please do not mishear me. There are many diseases that have no relationship whatsoever to my sin or your sin. But the kinds of suffering that result from our wrong actions, our cruel words, our uh, thoughtlessness, the kind of suffering that comes from our internal uh, judgment of ourselves because of our perfectionism or because of our narcissistic tendencies, or that puts ourselves down because of our depressive tendencies. In all of these things, there is a suffering that is self-inflicted. And as we lament our situation, it's vitally important that we seek from God wisdom and insight to recognise where that is so. In this first chapter, there really is no note of future hope for Jerusalem. But we, reading it as Christian people, know that there is a sure and certain hope. We know that God brought hope to Jerusalem. He restored that city. But we know that ultimately our hope is in the return of Christ and the glory in which we will share in his inheritance. And so with that knowledge of hope, we can express our sorrow in the present and seek to learn from God what faithfulness to him will mean in response. So don't worry if your emotions are deep and even dark. Express them to God. Bring them to God. Let him work in your heart. It's better to be honest before him. He knows those emotions anyway, and he welcomes you to express them to him just as the writer or writers of Lamentations did. <laughs>